I've been here. This is the Black Country Blokes, tuna of facts about everything that is mental health, disability, and, well, just life in general. With me, Kev Dillon, Lee Cadman, and our special guest today is Dave Stocks. So, Dave, thank you, brother, for coming on. Thanks, Kev. It's good to be here. Um, and thank you very much for inviting me. You probably regret it by the end of the show, but <laughs> <laughs> we, we shall see anyway. Yeah, um, I'm a suicide survivor so um i'm here to talk a bit about mental health and uh how to look after yourself because now having come through that myself i work as a suicide prevention community development worker so um that's why kev's invited me on the show to talk about mental health particularly men's mental health because yeah you know men don't talk about it do we we we, we just we bottle it up and it's not good for you it's not good for you so yeah I'm, I mean I, I could I've got a bit of a story to tell if uh, you want I don't know well we'll get into we'll get into all the yeah the nooks and the crannies yeah <laughs> I, I always say that nooks and crannies my daughter went daddy what's a cranny I'm thinking <laughs> oh we won't go down that yet <laughs> no, no, let's, no let's not go down that <laughs> but we'll get into all the nitty gritty after uh that's our musical interlude, but as we, as you said, like we, us blokes, I mean, women, they're being sexist. What I've observed over my years, women will talk on the playground, women will talk over a cup of coffee, over a bottle of wine, whereas men will talk about football <laughs> and they will even cry over their, their favourite football team losing, but they won't be allowed to cry about their child being poorly or the fact that they're down. So this is why we originally started the podcast, getting us blokes to talk about the nitty gritty. And this is what we like to do with all of our shows. It started like we do our support group every Wednesday at the Lions Boxing Club in Briley Hill, 7pm to 9pm. And it's, name me something that either good has happened this week or something we're grateful for. Me, um, I, well... Two, uh, three of my lads now at the Lions Boxing Club, Osma Mohammed, Matthew Ford and Ben Collins, and now through to the pre-quarters of the Nationals, so they'll be fighting on the 14th in Nottingham. I'm grateful. Um, it's funny, you know, after having Emily from Gravy Banana and Lisa from Willow Daisies. That's Louise. Louise. Oh, so close. Oh, so close. <laughs> and uh, and the, the beauty of being grateful... And I said this on our podcast the other day. I was at the Black Country Museum with my, my beautiful wife and my daughter. And we're queuing up for the chip shop. As everyone knows, we've been to the Black Country Museum. The chips are wonderful. And the queue is taking forever. And it's taking forever. And I was going, blooming heck, how long am I going to be in this queue? And going down the rabbit hole, as I always do. I'm fed up away. And I went, stop. You're with the people you love the most. We're on a day out. Who cares how long the queue is? You're with the people. And all you're going to do is ruin the day by being grumpy. And that's what I've started doing, realising when I'm about to get down the rabbit hole of oh, 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 stuff I can't control, I'm just going, well, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm lucky that I can stand up and queue. I'm lucky that I've got money in my pocket to buy chips. I'm lucky that... And by breaking that, you know, by doing that, I've been sleeping so much better all of a sudden. For a person who's struggled to sleep all my life, isn't it funny, by changing things into realising that it's not all doom and gloom and there is so much to be grateful for, I'm finding myself being content. How about you, Lee? 
Oh, mind easy. I'm I'm allowed out the house again. Freedom. <laughs> After over two weeks of uh, COVID being in my immediate uh, household, um, and me isolating, even though I didn't have it, I didn't want to pass it on to anyone else or risk pass it on to anyone else. Um, yeah, I'm I'm allowed out again. But also, my obviously my my children, my two children got it. My two eldest. Luckily, my youngest, who's who's got the severe disability, didn't 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 get it. Um, but I'm, I'm, that's that to me is just a blessing that uh, she didn't get it, and the other two really didn't affect them that much at all. And Dave, what what's good happened or things you're grateful for? Um, what's good happened is you just mentioned about getting some good sleep because I really struggle with sleep, and uh, I can really relate to that. But you know, just little tips about you know getting everything in perspective and. Uh, just going with the flow a bit. I think that could help help with my sleep um, because you know if you you don't get the sleep, you you really you, can, you feel bad all day anyway. Mm. So sleep's so important. So just just that you know just those few words about queuing, queuing for 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 the chips that's really helped me already so it's useful little tips like that you can pass on to people i think that's really good just you know little little things little things so yeah but what what i do and once again i'm on my journey and i've i've been to hypnotherapist nlp and i i love it i love it picking up little gems and sometimes you forget about these things but what i what i'm doing at the moment I get into bed and I go, you know what? I have done, well, Osmer is fighting his lad, he's going to be a southpaw. What is going And I go, stop. I have done everything I can do today and I will do the same tomorrow. Now is the time to rest. And then I go, well, how about? And I go, stop. That's tomorrow's problem. I can't do anything lying here. All I can do now is recharge the battery. And then I go, I'm grateful for the bed. I'm great. And I don't want it just to be. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my gym, because that becomes. I am very grateful for that. I love them most things in the world. But it's then going, as we've said, Lee. I'm grateful. I've got running water. Once I go to the toilet, I can flush the toilet. And those little things that uh, you know, it, it's not until you have a blocked up toilet, you realise how much a luxury of a flushing toilet is. And these little bits and bobs, and it's, I think on our journey, it's we expect the world to be these massive, big, phenomenal, and a lot of it is just my trousers fit, you know, my, my zip on my fly closes, and you know, uh, whatever these small little victories are, they can make your day better, can't they? Yeah, it's the little things, it's the little things, you know. Uh, I think sometimes we're thinking. We can forget about the little things. And the other thing that I find is a lot of us have this inbuilt negative filter. Mm. So it, it filters out all the good things that have happened and it just focuses on, on the bad things. So you can have, uh, you can get to the end of the day and think, ah, oh, I've had a really bad day. Um, but if you f look at it and analyse it properly, you probably find that you've actually had a, a good day. There's been a lot m more good things in the day than there has been bad. Um, yeah, it could have been raining, but 
oh, wow, that was a fantastic rainbow I saw. Mm. And uh, you, you could have had back-to-back meetings, but, God, were there some great people in those meetings. And oh, I, 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 I met some really new friends and made new contacts. And, you know, it's just forget, you know, you can put that negative filter on things and, you know, Rain brings rainbows. Mm. Meetings bring meeting new people. You know, you know, it's looking at it in a different perspective and looking at it in a positive way. So, yeah. Yeah, finding that, that positive in, in the, the negative situation of the day, isn't it? But we were talking, actually, it might be in the last podcast on Tuesday, Kev, about how having that negative mindset can put you in, in a spin for the rest of the day. You know, it starts you off wrong and then you... And then when you're started off wrong, you see all that negative easier, if that makes sense. So if you're having a bad day when you first get out of bed, you keep that bad day going instead of stopping and going, actually, yeah, I did snub my toe on the bed. But it doesn't get, it's not going to make the, the rest of the day a terrible day. It's just I did that today. You've got to kind of get over that, haven't you, and keep going, keep moving forward and change that attitude from... Yeah, I have got that meeting later that I'm dreading, but you know what? I get to see that person in this meeting, or I get to do that in this meeting, and find that positive within within the situ the negative situation. Yeah, yeah. It's also taking a bit of time out for yourself as well. So if you yeah if you had a bad start to the day, well maybe take a bit of time out and do something that you really like, even just for ten minutes. Just do something you really like. Listen, listen, listen to music that you really like, or uh, go outside and uh, listen to the birds, if there are any birds where you are, and you know, any anything that just lifts the mood. You know, so do things that you like um, and that can get you back into the right sort of mindset. So just taking time out, stepping away from it, that really helps. My mate said something to me the other day, because I, I love quotes and I, I love picking people's brains. And he says, you know what, Kev, you should treat yourself like your cat. I went, my cat, I'm always telling my cat off. He went, yeah, but when, whenever Scylla's hungry, you feed it. Whenever she wants watering, you give her water. Whenever she wants a bit of fuss, you give her a stroke. Whenever she's poorly, you take her to the vet. And when you end, he goes... Do you give yourself breakfast? I went, no, I'm in a rush. He goes, you know, when you're feeling a bit down, do, do you give yourself a bit of love? Do you, when you're poor, you go to the doctors? I went, no, you went to treat yourself like your pet. Never mind your child. Treat yourself like your pet. And I thought, how simple, but how right? Because it's such a cliche. Self-love, give yourself five minutes. But we often don't do it. I know I say, no matter what is going on, no matter how blue I feel, and my phone goes, I answer it, and I'm always trying to help people. But we often don't give ourselves that same love, do we? No, no. And I'm, I'm pleased you brought up pets um, because I've got two cats, two dogs, two rabbits. Well, me and my wife have got two cats, two dogs, two rabbits and two fish. So you can call me Noah if you want. <laughs> they come by two by two. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, um, but it's there... They sort of, in our household, they come top of the pecking order. Mm. Um, I know my place. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, we, we, you know, we, we, we love them and we uh, always make sure that they, they, they get looked after really, really well. 
So that idea of treating yourself like your pet, I've never heard that one before, and I think that's really good. You know, so I'm picking up tips all the time from from this show, um, and treating yourself like a, like your pet is really good. And I, what I find is I can tell people what they should do. I'm very good at telling people what they should do. Um, but I think it's your own inclination. You're not very good at doing it yourself. Yeah. So what we've all got to do is think, now, what would I tell someone else to do? And do it yourself. So, you know, be kind to yourself and do um, look after yourself and look after yourself like you would look after your pet. Um and the other thing about pets is they're very therapeutic. Mm. So um, it, 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 it's lovely. I was took, took our, one of our dogs for a walk earlier um, and just went past the local school, local playground. This big fluffy dog, big fluffy dog. And uh, all the kids said, oh, dog, dog, dog. Mm. And they came running over to the the fence and and the dog's called Plato and said oh he's Plato and because uh, he's a bit of a deep thinker <laughs> 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 and uh, he they were all stroking him through the bars and just chatting and saying oh we've got a dog or I'd love a dog and and it was great we had about 15 kids around us and it was just so lovely and you know the kids get all that love from a dog and so do we and you know so pets can be really really therapeutic it, it, it is you've got to find and we've always said we've got to find our medicine but it's like a reoccurring thing I heard and I hear it so often from us blokes I didn't want to bother you Kev yeah and I'll go well, but you know I'll go, I know what you're doing Kev and I know you but I didn't want to I didn't want to bother you and I went it's as long as I keep answering the phone, you're not bothering me because I'd, I'd much rather you interrupt my Sunday dinner or, or I'm watching a programme than for you to go and hurt yourselves. But I think a lot of it comes down to our self-worth, doesn't it? Once again, I will put everyone before myself because I don't want to put Dave or Lee or Mom or Dad or whoever out. And we've got to have that bit of self-importance, haven't we? And there's not... When we hear the words self-importance, we think, oh, arrogant, oh, but there's nothing wrong with having that self-importance that I will put my needs and my health and my mental well-being before things. And, you know, we, do you, do you recognise that? Have you suffered with that as well, David, that, that I, I don't want to put people out because maybe... Yeah, oh, I'm, yeah, yeah, uh, I do particularly. Um, and I find... And this is something I worry about um, because I work in the NHS. Um, I think I should always put people first before me because mm. that's my job and that's what I, I should be putting people first. But I'm, I'm naturally inclined that way anyway. I'd, I'd always want to put someone before me. And that's why I took my role uh, um because I can make a difference to people's lives, and that's what that's what counts to me. Um, so, yeah, you always do put people first, um, but in a strange way, by putting people first, you're putting yourself first as well. Because by helping someone else, it helps you. Because uh, one of the five ways to well-being is giving, and 
giving is helping someone else and it's it's it 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 gives you a, a self sense of self satisfaction self reward by being able to help someone being able to change someone's life for better you know what david we funny enough again we've been talking about this recently and and as we started up the podcast and and started doing the radio and Doing all these things to begin with, I was absolutely dreading it. It's it's not natural for me to talk at all. It's not natural for me to talk with, with people who are close to me. I've always been the shy one, Anna Kev. Um, so to open up and start doing this, but what I realised is not only are, are we helping other people, hopefully, but it's really helped me as well. It's helped, you know, getting these things off my chest myself and talking and. So yeah, it's it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You're, you're helping on both. You're, you're helping other people, and you're helping yourself. You are, yeah, by a sort of um, letting your own uh, problems out. Um, it, it is therapeutic. Um, I think there's a posh word for that, but we certainly ain't posh here. But it's like with people in the volunteer sector, like we do everything volunteering, you know, the boxing club, like on the head coach, he's one of the coaches, and you do it because you enjoy it. You do it because you enjoy it. And that's the reward when you see these babbies, you become blokes or women, and uh, you're giving your knowledge. And it, it is, you know, it, it, it's rewarding in seeing you have made a difference in someone's life. You know, I mean, when you're not getting paid, you've got to be doing it for some reason, giving up all your free time, your own blood family and your weekend. So we do it because we enjoy it, and that's the reward, isn't it? Will I ever be a financially rich man? I doubt it. But I'm always concerned with myself as wealthy. I'm wealthy in experience. I'm ex- uh, wealthy in love. I'm exp- You know what I mean? And that, that's, that's my wealth, you know, and I will take that to the graveyard. You know, the telly will break, uh, but hopefully the memories won't. You know, they won't fade as fast. But I, I think, Lee, if we go to a couple of songs, then after we've had our songs... We'll go into uh, all the nooks and crannies of uh, Dave and what he, uh, his story and all the great work they're doing in the trenches. And we're back. That was Aerosmith for our jewels. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, Dave just said uh, you love Aerosmith, so we thought we'd grab it in for you. And now we're going to be here now, back with Dave Stocks. So, Dave, tell us, tell us a bit about your journey. I was saying you're a suicide survivor. So if you don't mind, just could you tell us a bit about it, please? Yeah, yeah. My journey it it started um it started in the middle of the night. Um I was admitted to hospital, um Dorothy Patterson's hospital in Walsall in the middle of the night and uh I didn't know what the hell was going on. Uh I was in total meltdown and I you know I was just scared of life, really, and I got sat sat down and I was waiting to see the doctors and nurses, but it wasn't the doctors and nurses that um, came to see me. It was one of my fellow uh, patients, service users, uh, whatever you want to call us, um, said, Dave... Do you want a cup of tea? And that cup of tea, that meant the world to me. It's human kindness. It's human kindness. It was like a life raft to me. Mm. Um, and we got chatting and I, I realised 
And it was only then that I realised that I wasn't on my own. It wasn't just me that were going was going through these things, through these difficulties, through these thought processes. I wasn't on my own. And so that cup of tea was totally invaluable. And I was talking about this earlier. Um, there's not... There's not so many activities on the wards, um, and because there weren't many activities, there are no more now. But you know, you know, I'll I'll always push for more, always push for more activities. There weren't many activities on the ward, and at the time, uh, I'd I'd started writing a book, and it was on a beat-up old laptop, and technically you weren't allowed laptops on the ward uh, because of pat testing and blah de blah de blah uh, But thankfully the staff were really flexible and the, the nurses said, you know what, we'll look after it for you. So they kept it in the linen cupboard for me for safekeeping. So there I was in and out of the linen cupboard, day in, day out, getting my laptop and writing my book. Well, of course, it did arouse the curiosity of my fellow patients and they said, Dave, can't help noticing that you spend rather a lot of time in the linen cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult one to get out of. <laughs> um, well, I said, it's not that I've actually got a fetish for clean linen. <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping my laptop in there. I said, oh, really? Yeah, 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 keeping the laptop in there. Um, what are you doing with your laptop? Oh, um, I'm, I'm writing a book. A book? Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And as the days and weeks went by, they got more and more interested in what I was writing. And eventually they persuaded me to read out some of what I'd written to the rest of the ward. So you might have gathered I got a, quite, a bit of a sense of humour, certainly a warped sense of humour. And so I, I picked a, a, a humorous chapter to read out and there was nothing more rewarding than having a ward full of depressed patients laughing at something I'd written. And that really made me feel good and made me feel that I was doing something worthwhile. So I kept writing the book and the book became my therapy. And the end of my stay in hospital coincided with the end of writing my book. So, it, you know, it, it really was my therapy. And that... Um, that sort of meant the world to me. And on leaving the hospital, uh, I I got a careers advisor. Unfortunately, it wasn't the right one for me or the right fit for me. I haven't met a good one yet. Ah, <laughs> there are good ones. There are good ones. But we'll get into that. Uh, and this careers advisor said, "What would you like?" to do mm. 
I said, well, I would quite like to get my book published. Mm. It would be, be lovely if he was interested in the answer because he went, well, no chance, mate. No one ever gets a book, book published. Mm. Now, you've got to remember, this was my therapy mm. for all those months in hospital. Uh, this is what got me out the other side. In those few words, mm. it's crushed. Yeah. But I'm kind of stubborn, so I sent it off to a publisher anyway. Thank God I did. So I got a publishing contract by return post, and I went on to have a successful book launch in Nottingham Waterstones. Now, you probably can tell by my accent that I'm not pure black country. So <laughs> I'm from the East Midlands, I'm afraid, but um, I've crossed over to the black country and I love it now. And at the time, I'd just moved from Nottingham to uh, the black country. And so I had the book launch in Nottingham Waterstones because that's where I knew best at the time. And I also had a full-page article in the Nottingham Evening Post about me and my book. I, and then I thought, this this was fantastic. It made me want to give something back. So I started volunteering for Rethink. Rethink is a mental health uh, charity. And I started volunteering for Rethink. And this is where things got rather strange because through Rethink, I took part in a sort of campaigning at the party conferences that year. It's quite a number of years ago. Um, and at the party conf conferences, I bumped into a rather foppish sort of bumbling politician that I'm afraid some of you may know now <laughs> a certain Boris Johnson and as a result of bumping into him there was a full page article on me in the Guardian on people power um, about mental health and uh, how we can change things for the better with mental health how things needed improving and unfortunately there was a picture of me next to Boris and I say unfortunately because I was in a Mad Hatter's outfit at the time <laughs> I bet you couldn't say which one was which uh, well I'll, I'll get you on to that because I do promise I gave him gave Boris's outfit back afterwards <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah that that was that spurred me on because I thought, right, I'm I'm making I'm making a difference on the even a bigger scale now. So um, it it really made me want to give back more. And rethink, they told me about an organisation called Radar. Um, Radar is the Royal Association of Disability Rights. Now they said they they're sort of trialling a leadership program, and you know why don't you apply to be be on it and I thought well I'm not I'm not a leader no I, I, I'm just just little old me um, and I didn't really know that mental health was considered a disability then 
but I was told it was and encouraged to apply and I, I was uh, delighted that I got a place on the leadership program and the great thing about that leadership program it wasn't uh, the coaches it wasn't the workshops it was all the other disabled people that were on it with me everyone had their own story everyone inspired everyone else and it was it was peer support and peer support you don't it's not just if you've got a mental health condition you're a peer with someone with a mental health it, it's any disability you've got that peer support you can you can connect with other people and it was that peer support pe all the inspiring stories i heard and the the changes in people that's what that's what made the difference for me and then from graduating from the leadership program I say graduating, it's not with a degree. I, I don't think I've got a qualification to my name. But fr from graduating from the leadership programme, I, I then wanted to volunteer for Radar because they'd done a lot for me. And uh, through Radar, I took part in the MP Dialogue Scheme. Now, the MP Dialogue Scheme is you contact your local MP and... Uh, arranged to meet them and talk to them about uh, disability or mental health issues. So I, I, I contacted my local MP and I thought, he's not going to reply. I got a reply straight away and said, do you want to meet me in a few days' time? So I went to his constituency office and I thought, yeah, this is an MP. It, it, the MPs eat policies for lunch possibly constituents too and I thought you know all right I bumped into Boris yeah but I did have a Mad, Mad Hatter's outfit on at the time so I, I was undercover but the, you know this is proper talking to an MP and uh, and I talked to him and he was a real down-to-earth guy really down-to-earth and he, he said no no we don't we don't eat policies for lunch no we have a team of people brief us on anything that we 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 any new area that we get into um so no we don't know everything about everything and i also you know i gave him some tips on mental health and disabilities and decided a, a way forward um to, to improve uh mental health and disability in the area um but he also he also told me something that I didn't know at the time about um, post-traumatic stress disorder um, because he did a lot of work for the armed forces um, and at that time there was people that had fought in the Falklands uh, many, many years ago that are only just coming down with post-traumatic stress disorder and I didn't know that you could get such a delayed response with post-traumatic stress disorder. So that I learned something from him. So it was, it was encouraging to know that an MP was taking an interest in in mental health as well and, uh, you know, it was a genuine interest. Do I know the MP? Is he from around here? Um, he was, oh God, you know what I'm like with names. His first name was Brian, but I, 
I can't remember his surname. Uh, I think it's good when we can give these good people a shout out. We've yeah. had uh, Mike Wood, Marco, yeah. and uh, he's a counsellor for us, but Adam mm. Davis, the mm. amount of good work he's helping me, Lee, and Lions Boxing Club do. Mm. And I think sometimes when we think of these MPs, the counsellors, our back goes up thinking, oh, well, mm. I've read the papers, and I've even get luck with anything in any service, any. There's good ones, and I think there is more good than there is bad. But if you can get someone on side on your level, yeah, it's from, and we expect people to know everything about everything, yeah. But if you are from disability, you are a carer, or you have been born, or you've got a disability, obviously you have more empathy empathy towards it, like with mental health, and it takes people like ourselves to bring these topics up. Not disabled toilets or these things because you go, well, I saw a disabled toilet. I never thought to check if I get a wheelchair in there. Or I never thought to check that, oh, well, the lift's out. Well, how's Calla Rose going to get up there? And it's Unless you're from that world, how are you supposed to think about it? And I think the only way that the higher ups, the lower downs, will think about it is if we bring it to their attention. Yeah, that's that's right. And it, it, it did make me laugh when I read about the climate, uh, the climate summit, summit uh, one of the visiting politicians couldn't get in because they had a wheelchair and they hadn't thought about it. So mm. <laughs> That's absolutely disgusting, isn't it, really, it in really this day is. and age? It's yeah, terrible. It's unbelievable that they... Oh, I, yeah. I just couldn't believe that they, they, they'd not thought of that. It's just... Terrible, yeah. We were saying like like about that sort of take off subject, but it's all right saying like the I don't know the, the crooked house that was built in. Da, 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 they haven't got this. It was it's a listed building and some things you think well that's old and but every building and every property that is built from today should be built to a high spec so people can go to the toilet, so wheelchairs can fit through doors. You know, we can't blame people on the past for not knowing what we know now. But what we can change is what we do from this moment in time. Do you agree with that, Lee? Yeah, definitely. I think any... I'll go further. I think any way where you are able to make accommodations, it should be done. You know, there's, there is ways around it all the time. Even for somewhere like the Crooked House, really, there is ways around it. But, you know... It's 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 almost like if you're disabled, it's almost like it's a privilege if you can get to go to the toilet. Mm. You know, it's almost like a privilege that you can get into a shop instead yeah. of being instead of being just a normal thing. Because that's all anyone who has any kind of disability, all they want to be able to do is live the life like any other person, mm. um, and not have to think about these things in advance or whether they can go you know we we spoke to jed didn't we from america on the podcast and he mentioned it then it's just sometimes i oh, get he, he lives in america and he gets left behind um from his family because he can't make it up to the next level or he can't get through that door he can't i'm just thinking in this day and age now we need to we should be better than this we should be treating people better than this we, we certainly should. We certainly should. And you know, it's all about making the playing field level. A, a disabled person shouldn't have to even think when they go out that they've got any barriers to overcome. It mm. should all be there, ready, set for them. So, you know, it should, you know, 
the world should be just as accessible for them as any of us. Um, and the fact that there are barriers out there, it's just not acceptable in this day and age. Um, and it's all about, well, it's a sort of social model against the medical model of disability. And the social model, um, dis disabled people, uh, you know, society adapts to help disabled people um, access what they need to be able to access, whereas um, the medical model, it's more that the disabled per person needs to adapt, which is wrong. Uh, so I love that advert, the Paralympics, mm. and uh, they're all doing it. They're swimming, they're lifting weights, they do, and then that woman can't go into the shop because there's, there's a curb. And I thought, because Channel 4 have done such a brilliant job with them at the Paralympics. Yeah. So it was always the Olympics, that other thing afterwards. Mm. But, you know, God bless Channel 4 because they've done it brilliant. But I thought that advert, mm. the superhumans, and there's got to be something wrong with you to be in the Paralympics. But that was a double, yeah. the blood tundra. Yeah. Got to be physical, but there's got to be something bonkers with you to mm. defy all odds and I yeah. think they've done it brilliantly yeah no it's fantastic and yeah the Paralympics is a fantastic things and uh, a lot of people don't understand it's actually parallel Olympics is what Paralympics stands for um, and, and people mis misuse that term so it, you know it, they've just just as just as abled as um, any of us uh, it's just in a different way and yeah the, I think the Paralympics is a fantastic thing absolutely fantastic and we're rather good at it as well so <laughs> but having your like your your mental struggles let's call it mm. was it then because uh, we're going to go into uh, obviously the actual journey of suicide mm. but it was um, was it then rewarding as we were saying rewarding to get into that kind of field because Mental illness and physical disability, or mental disability, and all these different forms, they do go hand in hand, aren't they? But sometimes, and me and Lee talk about this, like his daughter is in a wheelchair, it is a visible disability. You can see if the baby's poorly or she's screaming with delight. And, but then sometimes, like with an autism or a clostomy bag, or uh, even myself being a high functioned, uh, being blind person, you could think I'm being ignorant or being awkward, whereas. I've got an invisible disability, yeah. and that's when it becomes more tricky because, oh, well, why are you making such a fuss? They're over there, or why, why, uh, when you can't see the disability, we become very up on our high horse and very, some people can be very nasty and spiteful about it, can't they? Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a, the old disabled parking base badge yeah. and things like that. Uh, it, it can be really, uh, really difficult with an invisible disability disability I mean, mine's invisible obviously because it's mental health I have a bipolar men mental health condition which I, means I can either get really really high or really really low um, and if I'm acting strange people will think it's just just been awkward or whatever mm. but I'm actually no I've got an invisible disability I've got you know, bipolar bipolar mental health condition and uh, yeah I may be uh, thinking I'm Superman one moment but that's part of my condition and people have got to be more forgiving to uh, those who've got invisible disabilities um, and 
you know, there's so many invisible disabilities. Um, there's uh, neurodi neurodiversity, um, which encompasses all sorts of things, including autism, dyslexia, um, dyspraxia, various different uh, disabilities, um, most, most of them totally invisible. And I did, someone quoted me a figure, and I don't know if it's right or not, but I assume it's right, that 90% of disabilities are invisible. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge amount, a huge amount. So, it's um, not like you wear a big badge, is it? Mm. Saying, don't be awkward because, mm. you know, because most people, well, all people, you know, they want to get in, they want to, and I said, growing up, I wanted to be, mm. wanted to be the average kid. Mm. You know, I didn't want, Sir and Mr. Point me out because you just want to fit in. It's not until you get older and you want to be extraordinary and you want to be this. But most of us just want to live in peace, mm. bring attention to me, but it's good attention. Mm. You know, like, I've done well or I've got my radio show or did it. You don't want to go like, oh, 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 look at the different kid over there. He's, you know, and, and no one wants that, do they? To be no. pitied or pointed out. No, no, that's right. Yeah. Um, Oh, I just remember the politician, Brian Jenkins. Uh, I've you been go. you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I've just got to drop his name in because he's a great guy, <laughs> a really good guy. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's the invisible disabilities and things are just so, people so not understanding and things aren't adapted for people with invisible disabilities so often. Um, you know, neurodiversity is is one. You know, you know lighting can be a problem. Um, uh, sort of meeting people can be a problem. It, it depends on the sort of where you are in, in sort of the spectrum of neurodiversity, etc. On what adaptations may may be required. So there's so many things that get unseen because they are unseen um and that's that's the that's the difficulty um and also you you have this stereotype of dis disabled people yes. which is the wheelchair yes uh, and yeah that is one category of disabled people and a very important category but it doesn't encompass everyone so you, you do need to consider the whole um, whole disabled field as a whole and, dis and the invisible side is, as I say, 90%. It, it speaks for itself. It's massive. So. But like disabled parking or disabled toilets, and you'll see people like running over going, Proovey, Proovey. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Hey up. Yeah. Hey up. Yeah. Either, you know, a parking, yeah. I've got a, my husband's visually impaired or mm. X, Y, Z, or I've gone to a disabled toilet while I'm wearing a bag or I'm wearing a peg. And it's, well, why have I got to justify it mm. to you? Well, I think, I think there the problem is, is actually the people who are using those things and they don't have a disability Kev. Mm. it's not actually the problem with the person who may have a hidden disability you know i pulled up to disability parking loads of times there hasn't been a badge in the window mm. now it might have been that they forgot to put the badge in or it might have been that they've gone actually that car park's a bit that that parking space is a bit closer 
so I'm just going to go in it. And it's the same with the child and parent ones. You know, it's no, it's no different. Mm-hmm. There's many people who parked in there and they're just on their own doing a bit of shopping. Uh, but yeah, with ev- with everything, it's going to be people who are misusing it. Uh, with everything, it's going to be someone who, yeah, as I say, misusing it. But you feel like, <clears throat> is it your job to have a go at someone? And it, once again, we assume that they are breaking the rules. And have we got that right to do it? You well, know? I think you do in the sense of not have a go at them, but you, you, I think you definitely ought to have the conversation. I think you ought to go up and ask that conversation whether it's their right, because how, how are you going to change it if not? I'm not saying going in there all gun blazing, but walk up and say, actually, do you, do you realise that's for disabled? And they could turn around and say, actually, I, I am disabled. Mm. Fair enough. But if you didn't ask that question, then people are going to use those spaces who aren't entitled to use them. Who, who else is out there to ask the question is what I'm saying. What do you think, Dave? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I think uh, they should be asked the question. Um, and, yeah... I would say politely challenged because you do get some aggravated people nowadays, but you should politely challenge and say, look, it's, you know, this this is for disabled people and, you know, I respect it if you are, um, but if you're not, it's in, if a disabled person can't get a space, that that means so much more to that disabled person being able to access what they need so yeah i would say politely challenge it's it's a tricky one mm. because there are some tricky people in the world nowadays um but they they do need challenging on on some level um definite definitely yeah well lee uh we're up to our hour so should we go to a couple of songs mate and we'll come back in with dave story in a bit and we're back, the Black Country Blokes chewing the fat on our home Black Country Extra. And we're still here with Dave Stocks. So Dave, carry on with your story, bro, about you know, your journey with suicide and coming out on the other end. Yeah, so, now, where did I get to? I got to, I'd done the radio leadership programme, haven't yes. I? And then the MP Dialogue Scheme, so... I had an old chinwag with Brian Jenk- Jenkins that I've now remembered his name. <laughs> pretty good for me because I don't remember names very well. Um, great guy, really good guy. Um, and uh, yeah, that helped me a lot. And uh, at the at the end of the MP dialogue scheme, there was a reception in Parliament, and they said, Radar approached me and said. Dave, do you want to uh, speak in Parliament? And I thought, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> not a good idea. Yeah, I'm, yeah, as you can tell, I'm I'm a bit of a sort of butterfly when it comes to speaking. So uh, yeah. I thought, no, 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 no. This Lord's gentleman and yeah, all that, all that jazz. I, no. Somehow they persuaded me that I would. So. We got to Parliament and we, in this parliamentary room, packed to the rafters with lords, ladies, OBs, MBs, and me. <laughs> and uh, 
when it came to my turn, I got to the lectern, I looked out and I thought, oh, we're on radio, aren't we? Yeah. I can't okay. say the second word. <laughs> don't. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> so so I, I didn't say the second word. And, and I looked out and I talked for 10 minutes. And to this day, I have not a clue what I talked about. Mm. Uh, but at the end of that, that speech, if you want to call it such, uh, you could hear a pin drop. And then the biggest round of applause that I've ever heard. And I have no idea, as I say to this day, what I said, but it obviously made a difference. Mm. And that's, that, that was important to me. And of course, Brian Jenkins was there, so it was nice to see him again. And uh, yeah, it it was it was a key moment for me because there I was making a difference in one of the most important places that you can make a make a difference. And I really felt rewarded and able to uh, give something back. And then Radar got funding for a full-blown leadership programme. Um, and this was a three-year leadership programme. And I was asked, do you want to apply to run the leadership programme? I thought, I, I'm still not, I, I, yeah, I, yeah I'm, I, I, I waffled on a bit in Parliament, yeah. I, I I bumped into Boris Johnson in a Mad Hatter's outfit and I I was lucky I met a nice politician, Brian Jenkins, who's a good down-to-earth chap. So, um, yeah, I've been sort of in the leadership areas, but I'm not really a, a leader-type leader, leader type person myself. And I thought, no, no. And I looked at the job spec and uh, you... Uh, you you've got to have done this and uh, uh, this experience and there was words in it I didn't even understand so I thought I can't, yeah can't do that can't do that but somehow I was apply, uh, 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 persuaded to apply for it so I applied for it and I was amazed to get an interview um, and then of course I had the interview from hell and as you may have noticed I, I do have a bit of a sense of humour and during the interview I tried to crack the odd little joke but one of the directors that was interviewing me had a total poker face mm. total, he was not amused at all I thought ah, I ain't got this, definitely not so this was in London and I packed my bags and headed off home I thought well I tried. That's all you know. All you can do. Uh, and I was amazed the next day to get a call to say that I got the job. Um, and funnily enough, that director that was poker faced, uh, I was his best man at his wedding a, a few years ago. So it just right. shows, <laughs> you know. So don't despair if you ever have an interview that you don't think has gone well, because it's not necessarily the case. Um, and that job 
other than the job I'm doing now, it was the best job I've ever done. And it wasn't the high-profile successes um, that meant the most to me. We had people uh, set up successful businesses, get MBEs, um, even become mayors. Um, it wasn't those. It was the, it was the people at the, at the start of the programme wouldn't say boo to a goose, had the stuffing knocked out of them. Um, and by the end of the programme, saying how much it changed them, what they were going to do to their life, standing up in front of 100 people and saying this, and, you know, what you know, all the dreams and aspirations that they'd now got and where they were going to go, that's what meant the most to me. And that's, that, that was priceless beyond anything. So, And um, because they'd seen you've been through the wars with your journey, yeah. they can relate to you, can't they? And I think... Um, experience can be more important than a qualification when you come to that relating to people can't it yeah that's right and that's that's where it counted that's where it counted in that job um my lived experience that's why i got that job and that's why i got this job as a suicide prevention community development worker it's that lived experience it, you know that's what's made the difference um and I my hat is off to both the employers, to my current employer, uh, Black Country Healthcare, and to Radar for giving me the opportunity, um, without the qualifications, but with you know, be, you know, believing in me because of my lived experience, and uh, you know, more organisations and companies should be like that to value that lived experience. And suicide is such a a far-reaching thing, isn't it? And um, the people I, I've known who've completed suicide, those who I know who have tried to complete suicide. And the depths of despair are different for different people, aren't they? And how many times I hear it go, oh, what, what have you got to be suicidal about? You've got everything. And, but we don't know what goes behind closed doors. We don't know what goes on in someone's house. Some can be drove into it by um, finance. Some people can be at work. It could be through grief, through mourning. But it is different to everyone, isn't it? And we shouldn't be judgmental in it, should we? No, that's right. Um, and say so my own... I said that story is one part of the story. Um, I, I also did try to take my life and I took an overdose when I was working at a certain organisation and I'm not going to name the organisation um, and I what, one thing that stood out to me was the lack of understanding mm. of mental health because I was struggling with my mental health at that time I told my manager, and they were well aware that I was struggling with my mental health, which meant that I wasn't performing quite as well with my job. It wasn't a massive underperformance, it was just a slight underperformance with my job. So what the manager did in that job was exactly what a manager shouldn't do. She stood behind me looking over my shoulder 
most of the time while I worked. So I was in under con. Mm. I was I was on, in a microscope, uh, you know, under constant scrutiny, and that's what I literally took an overdose at, at work because at of, work at work because of the pressures at work. Thankfully, uh, it wasn't successful. I didn't take enough, but um, that's the pressures that that can be exerted from uh, a bad work environment, um, a, what I would call a toxic work environment. I think I think a lot of people can relate to that. There's there's. There's only a few things in life that can kind of send you to that point, isn't it? And it's usually something along the lines of work, family life or money. And it's absolutely... It's it's fantastic that we've got better within mental health, within working environments, but there's still a lot of improvements to make. We, me and Kev are very lucky. We do we do um, some talks now around certain construction firms. We, we have other firms who are coming on board in the in the next couple of weeks. And when you're talking to the people who who were kind of in charge of bringing us in, the the passion they know, you, you're now seeing these people to get people like us in and talk about our experiences. Because, again, me and, me and Kev aren't qualified to do any of this. <laughs> it's all off the cuff, isn't it, Kev? We, we wing it, basically. But... We've but been to, through the mill, haven't we? We have. We, we, we're experienced in, in that way. And, it, and But... It, there's there's definitely a drive to push it further, but we've got to be careful at the moment because we, we're also seeing there's a lot of people out there who are going, or a lot of companies out there going, right, we need to get everyone um, mental health first aid trained. And that is fantastic, yes, get people mental health first aid trained, but don't stop it there. Because don't all your uh, mental health... Yeah, well, that's it, it's a tick box. And mental health first aid trainers are there to deal with... An emergency, aren't they? That's the whole thing. You know, you're there to to help in an emergency situation, but you need to catch these things before that point. We need to be talking more, and and and, and companies need to step up to that plate yeah. and and help people more. Yeah, I, I totally agree on that, and that's the approach I take in my job. You've got to be proactive rather than reactive. I consider if someone gets to crisis stage, then we failed. No one should get to crisis stage. It doesn't mean that we don't provide the support for crisis stage because people will get to crisis stage, unfortunately. Um, uh, You absolutely have to have the right support for crisis. But it's much better to be proactive. It's it's like if if the best way to... um, stop a fire burning is not to build the fire in the first place you know yeah you you if you can put out a fire before it starts then it's so much easier once it's started it is so hard to put that fire out i do a presentation sometimes which is uh called fragile mind and it's the four stages of a crisis as i i go through it and the first stage of crisis is the silent scream. And the silent scream is where I'm screaming inside, but no one is hearing those screams. Sometimes even I won't hear those screams. Um, uh, and that's the silent scream, but that's the easiest stage to be able to help someone because you, know, you pick up 
someone's someone's struggling at that stage it's easier to help them and get them on the right path um the the next stage um trying to sorry to put in there but would Mm. that is so the silent scream is basically but we've got to be make people aware of that so they speak up when they're feeling that aren't they because Mm. we won't recognize it if it's silent no, you won't recognise a silent scream. Um, so, uh, one is you make people aware of it. So, by putting this presentation together, um, I put the presentation together for actually crisis support. Um, by putting this presentation together, it made me more aware of myself. So, it made me aware of my silent scream. Uh, so now if I have that silent scream, I know to uh, tell my wife, uh, tell my support worker, if you've got a support worker, uh, um, tell my colleagues, tell my friends, tell the whole world. You know, you know, if, if I'm struggling, you know, the sooner I let people know, the sooner I can get, get the support and help that I need. So that silent scream now I know about now I've looked at myself I can now tell people um, when I first notice that my mood's slipping I'm I'm starting to struggle in any way I I can tell people Um, but also it's for people around you people that know you to pick up the signs as well so yeah it's a silent screen but they will pick up things you will start behaving differently you won't be your normal self so you know you may not enjoy things as much as you normally enjoy or do activities that you normally or become more tired or you know there's various things that people around you will pick up on so it's just for the just say say to people around you and for the people around is to look for those things that you know um, those signs that someone may be struggling uh, so that's the, the the idea behind the silent screen and and then when you you recognize those symptoms you was telling earlier that you then ask twice don't you yeah yeah they ask twice now like this this is such a simple concept such a powerful one um i first came across it on a roman kemp documentary that i recommend anyone watch if they they've got the time but it it, it was uh a, on that documentary um it was our silent emergency that documentary and on that documentary he went to northern ireland and there's some young uh, young people uh, in Northern Ireland who'd lost their friends to suicide and they didn't realise that they were suicidal, they were struggling and they'd been taught this technique and it's asked twice and they do it they were using it for each other and basically asked twice is um, Kev if I ask you how are you, how would you respond? Sound. Yeah but if I then followed it up by, how are you really? Um, well, 
I'm all right, I'm just having one of them. And then that's how the conversation starts, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. It's It gives that person the chance to open up. It One, it shows you're genuinely interested. And two, how are you is... We're all being programmed to say, yeah, fine. Sound yeah. fine, good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So... You don't care about the answer. Yeah. I'm not going to bore you. Yeah. I'm all right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the Ask Twice is such a simple concept. Um... And it's a campaign that's been launched by uh, Time to Change. Um, but it is such a powerful concept. And the reason I, I encourage everyone to ask twice is uh, I don't usually do statistics because basically I can't remember them. <laughs> <laughs> but this one's a fairly easy one. Something, something along the lines of roughly... 75% of suicides are not known to, currently known to services. Mm, that's that's a massive number. And I feel sorry for these people who, um, they ask for help, be it a, a crisis number, a doctor's receptionist, or whoever. And just because you're on the phone and some maternity wards and GPs and... Just because you see it every day, the person who comes to that ward or is on the end of that phone line, it's the first time for them and it's scary for them. And I think we have to remember that if we're in that job, no matter how many times, if the millionth time we have done it that day, we've got to remind ourselves that person hasn't done it a million times and have that deeper understanding because how you respond to that situation can impact that person's life forever. Yeah, it, it's crucial. It, it, it is such a tough, tough job being on the crisis line, and it's. Um, but it, it's the amount. Of, yeah, as you say, the amount of times you, you have to respond to someone. You, it's hard because you either get desensitized to it mm. and don't which could lead to not responding humanely or you could um, equally um, get too involved and you take it home with you and that can affect you. So it's such a difficult job to do, but you should always um, try and be empathetic see i've used the big words there you go <laughs> <laughs> empathetic and understand what that person's going through that that per person is going through the mental equivalent of a heart attack yes so uh, in fact we had an mp on didn't we lee and we were saying that um mm -hmm. saying like if um if you phone up and say um i'm going to hang myself i'm going to overdose and uh, and then they could even say, well, can you come back on Tuesday? Or I'm not feeling better. And I'll come back a week on Tuesday. And the MP said, well, if you have impairs in your chest, they wouldn't say that. You're rushed straight into help. And I think we have to start seeing the the mental health the same as the physical health. We have. It's, yeah. it's life or death. It's life or death. Um, and, again, that's an area we, we need to address because some people can present at A&E with mental health problems and it's not always necessarily understood because the 
mainly physical health focused A and E. So you know, some some cross training there. I think things are getting a lot better, but equally, uh, in the past, I've had a negative experience at A and E, uh, and you know, it's just as life threatening. Just as life threatening. And if you get a negative experience, that could be the thing that pushes you over. So. And it, and this is what I say a lot here, because I, I say I've done lots of different counselling therapies over my years, and if the one doesn't work, don't give up with the recovery. Think, all right, then. <laughs> oh, excuse me, sneezing all over myself. <laughs> but if, if, if a therapist doesn't work, if you keep trying, if you come to the Lions Boxing Club and we don't gel, Go to the Priory, Brooklyn's, don't give up in boxing because we haven't gelled and we've got to see that in therapy and with other stuff. But sometimes when you're walking into a gym or you're walking into a therapist or you've picked up the phone, it is petrifying. It's petrifying. And when we're not uh, met with the right love or the right understanding or the right listening, we can throw the baby out with the bathwater, can't we? Mm. Yeah, that's that's right. You you've got to you've got to always be um, empathetic and listening and caring and and as you say, it's not one hat fits all. It really isn't. You know, uh, it just can't. And that's why you know even your great place you know uh, may not suit everyone. No. And you know. There's so much out there. There's so many places, um, and you know, f- for one thing, we've got the uh, the crisis cafes, um, which are around the Black Country now. So there's one in each uh, uh, borough in the Black Country: one in Sandwell, one in Dudley, one in Walsall, and one in Wolverhampton. And they're great places that people can just out of hours drop into and if you're anything like me your crisis always happens out of hours mm. <laughs> um, so you can just drop into one of these crisis cafes and the, you know have a chat what, what could they expect Dave from there mm? what what if, if I was going to go now mm. what could I expect what will I be met with uh, empathy <laughs> and, and understanding and they, they would listen a listening ear and also uh, be able to uh, signpost you to um, more help that that would be able to be suitable for you. Um, and if if you if you need emergency, uh, you know, crisis services, they'll be able to get that in place for you. You know, because they've got they have got links to the crisis team if they need to call on the crisis team as well. Um, so, but the equally they're separate from them. So, you know, the the there are listening, understanding ear that are mainly people run by people with lived experience. Mm-hmm. So they've got that understanding um, and uh, be able to talk to you and be able to offer you advice that they they've gained but also advice uh, on all the services and things that they know out 
of out there because one of the big problems is there's loads of stuff out there. It's just knowing that it is out there. Yes. So, so it's almost like um, a face-to-face Samaritans. Yeah, it's almost like a face-to-face Samaritans, but um, to me it's better. To me it's better. Um yeah, I think the Crisis Cafes are really, really good. So, yeah. Well, off air, you'll have to tell us that and we'll we'll try and share some of that. Yeah. That's yeah. very interesting, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, I'll just actually write it down and I'll, I'll take a look into it. Hopefully we can get someone on the show, actually, to come and talk about it. Um, yeah, well, I, can link you, I can link you in with um, people from the Crisis Cafes, um, definitely. Um, so, I mean... Get get someone to come along and talk about them because they are fantastic. Um, do a great job. And so, I don't want to go back to you saying the four, in your presentation about suicide that you said the first one, the silent scream. What are the other three things to? Oh yeah, I didn't get there, did I? <laughs> <laughs> Butting in again, ain't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, let me think. What what was the next thing? Um, I can I can't remember what I called the second stage, but it, it's um, uh, it, it's it's uh, sort of shattered. I can't. That's what not what I called it, but basically that's where I visibly begin to break up mm-hmm. and um, fall apart, and that people can definitely see that I'm I'm going downward so mm. to speak and depression's taking its toll yeah, on me d- depression's taking its toll and at that point you know certainly action should be taken and help should be provided and support survive- provided because that stage you know the uh, I'm still not in total crisis but it's heading that way and it's much easier to help me and uh, stop this crisis happening than when it actually arrives um because you know so it's into a chicken but you know if you've observed the silent scream mm. and you're seeing someone is falling apart mm. what would you advise me to do now with that person or i, I see it happening to if someone out there is listening and thinking, oh, that reminds me of our, our Jeff. It's always mm. poor Jeff. But if, if, if you could see Jeff going in there, what would you recommend that I do now? I would, I would recommend... Uh, we'll go back to my story. Um, that started with a cup of tea. Mm. Yeah? Now, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you now if it wasn't for that cup of tea. Mm. So I'd go over to Jeff and say, fancy a cuppa? Mm. Yeah? Have a little, little old chat and say, yeah. And use ask twice if you need to. Mm. Yeah. Various techniques of trying to get people to open up, you know, say, look, you're not looking yourself. Mm. I know what it's like. I've been through it myself. Mm. Yeah, There's so many different ways of getting people to, and just talk to him. And that listening ear, that's invaluable. Yeah, just being listened to is invaluable. Mm. And then, if there is 
um, issues that need addressing if you can't advise on them and i'm sure you've got a lot of good advice that you could give but if you can't advise then there's the 24 7 helpline um that you could contact which is great um now as a as a service user myself one thing that i don't like if i get into a crisis is 50 different numbers oh. that I have to ring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it, it drives me bonkers. We, we've now got a 24-7 helpline. I'll get the number yeah, we'll before the end of the pages. show. Um, we've now got a 24-7 helpline. People can ring that and they will be directed to the most appropriate place. And it doesn't necessarily mean it'll be clinical because there's lots of um, voluntary organisations and community organisations that people could be directed to from the 24-7 helpline and the crisis cafes as well. So it all links in um, to all the services that are out there. So the 24-7 helpline is what I like to call a one-stop shop. Mm. You don't have to go here, go there. We want the 999 of mental health, yeah. don't we? To me, that's the Black Country's 999. Yeah. So um, the 24-7 helpline is what I would advise some someone to contact um, if they're, they're, they're struggling. But you can sort of signpost people to all sorts of places um there's um you can get people to go to the gps and make sure that they do talk about the mental health and not pretend it's physical health mm. um so talk about the mental health saying i'm struggling and they could be then referred on to uh other services um that may be appropriate uh, or the doctor may see that they're actually in crisis and that they need emergency crisis attention, um, which so they can contact the GP. Um, you can help them contact the GP. You know. mm. Sometimes people need that help. They yes. may need the help contacting the 24-7 helpline as well. So don't rely on them um, doing it. Um, know, be be there with them when they when they do it or help them do it um, because you want to make sure the next step next step has been taken um, yeah but it's mainly been a listening ear and you know actually someone does care mm. yeah and what are the the next two so we've got silent scream being tired fatigue mm. and then yeah so silent scream and then sort of shattered. Um, and then it's the inferno, uh, um, which is basically like my head has gone into a sort of volcano-like mode. Mm -hmm. Everything is boiling over inside my head, and I can't think straight, and... I'm not necessarily a nice person at that time either. Mm. And I know I'm not. And that stage is so hard to tackle um, 
so hard to put out the fire because it's like trying to put out a, wa a volcano with a watering can. Yeah. So that's why it's so important to tackle it at the first or second stage because once you get into the inferno stage, it it's just it's firefighting it's just sort of holding back what you can but until it, it cools down a bit so, again, that's when when the the old bill or the service has been called and when you're at that inferno stage yeah it's not the easiest to talk to someone there and to allow them that you're a caring person and you are because you're just in fight mode, aren't you? Hands are going everywhere, effing, jeffing. And yeah. as you said, I, yeah. I think putting out a, 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 a volcano with a watering can is a brilliant analogy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's, it, it roughly is. It, it's impossible, virtually impossible at that stage. And then the final stage is broken and blue because... I would normally have been admitted to hospital at this stage mm -hmm. and I would be uh, just a broken shell of what I was. Mm -hmm. I would, my route then is I would retreat and not speak to men, hardly anyone mm -hmm. and uh, I will, the only thing that would help me then is time, yeah. So basically, time would be my only healer then. So that's the last stage of the sort of crisis as I experience it. So yeah. And as a suicide survivor, what would you tell someone who's who who was where you was? What bit of advice or what bit of solace would you give them? Uh, firstly, don't be impulsive. <laughs> yeah, I know it sounds stupid, but a lot of suicides can be um, totally impulsive. Uh, and if, if that, just wait, that moment will pass. Um, but also, there's hope. I always, you know, the most powerful thing word in mental health is hope um, there is hope you can recover and what seem like overwhelming problems inescapable problems can be broken down little bit by little bit don't have to be all tackled at once just little bit by little bit the people out there that will help you help you break those problems down help you um, get back on track and also there's people that love you and care about you and you I don't know about yourselves but when I've been suicidal I feel worthless I feel mm. the world is better off without me and actually it's not it's not better off without me there's so many people that love and care about me and i mean a lot too then and that's why even though you don't think 
you you're any good in the world you you are everyone is priceless and there is hope there is recovery and i'm living proof of that recovery um and recovery is the other word you can recover um I'm in secondary mental health, which means I've got a care plan. Uh, I've renamed it to recovery plan because a care plan suggests actually I'm going to be cared for the rest of my life. Mm. Recovery plan means actually I'm going to recover. Mm. I'm going to be the person I want to be. I'm going to achieve what I want to achieve in life. So an emphasis on recovery rather than, reca- rather than care is so important. So, and, uh, yeah. And don't live as your diagnosis. I think it's another thing we talked off air the other day. Yeah. And so many people live by, I am Dave Bipolar, I am Kevin Dillon. And if you can, well, that's just one mm. tiny fraction of the jigsaw, which is me. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, and that's another another thing that I always like to say is, you know, yeah, I've got a bi- bi- bipolar diagnosis, but I'm a human being first. Mm. So um, don't treat me as my diagnosis. Treat me as a human being. I'm Dave. I've got a lovely wife, Jules. Who's enjoying your music mix at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've got two dogs, two cats, and two rabbits, and two fish, as I mentioned before. Um, uh, love all the animals. I love the outdoors and wildlife. I'm a photographer. I'm a I'm a writer. Yeah, I'm all these things. I just happen to have a bipolar diagnosis. Um, so yeah don't live by that label and don't um, uh, other people judge you by that label and back to your book what was the name of it and where can people find it <laughs> I knew, I'm not actually plugging this book it, it, it's um, it's the Celtic Holy Grail quest it's a bit of a weird title I just had this uh, interest in Celtic mythology um, and it just led me down this track and woven into Celtic mythology I kind of found the origins of the sort of holy grails um, all to do with Celtic cauldrons and things and I, I just I just got fascinated so it, it's both quest for the origins of the holy grail and it's also a personal healing healing quest so yeah bit of a strange book and i only include it in my story because i want to uh, it's a key part of my recovery and things that's your medicine it was my medicine yeah yeah i mean uh i don't necessarily recommend people get it but um it, yeah it's a different book. It's a different book, but it's yeah. It was my it was my healing, and uh, it's what helped me get through. Which is another thing that does help people. Um, 
is different things help different people and yes. creativity um, helps a lot of people. I find I'm a very creative person, too creative sometimes for my own good, but uh, so anything writing, art, photography, woodwork, anything creative, I love. Um, we almost teach us that, don't we? I mean, mm. as a child, we're encouraged to have imagination, to play with toys, to draw mm. pictures, to craft. Because it's wonderful. And as we grow up, it's almost, I don't know, society beats it out of us, doesn't it? Oh, well, oh before, <laughs> on that note, Dave, we haven't got very long now. So it's been an absolute pleasure. I always like to get everyone on here before we, we go. Have you got any quotes or sayings that have helped you get through life? You've only got about 30 seconds, Dave. Make it a quick one. <laughs> <laughs> quotes or sayings. Uh, it's my uh, my own one. Um, if I do have a bad day, um, I always say a good day follows a bad day. That that gets me through. Um, so... If if I have a bad day, I think right tomorrow's going to be different. I'm going to, it's going to be a good day. So, well, thank you ever so much, brother, for coming on. Thank you for listening. So, until we see each other next time, take care of yourselves and each other. To all of it. All right. Cheers, Kev. <laughs>